Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. A lot of what scares us is centered around consumption, especially in horror movies. Think about it. Zombies eating our brains, demons consuming our souls, werewolves eating our flesh vampires drinking our blood. So it makes sense that food holds a really interesting place in films intended to terrify us. This week we're taking a look into how food is used to scare us in horror films. Unlike previous food episodes we've done, you might want to listen to this one on an empty stomach. So if that sounds good to you, let's get started. So food and horror, strangely enough, have a pretty interesting dynamic. Food and eating are exercises in bodily autonomy, and we need it to survive. So when you have that tampered with in any way, the results can be chilling, to say the least. Beyond that, even the act of eating itself can be pretty scary when you think about it. Amy McCarthy for a 2022 Eater article mentions, quote, As we eat, we literally flay animal flesh away from the bone with knives and then tear it apart with our teeth. We happily pluck oysters, octopuses, and sea urchins from the sea and eat them alive, paying handsomely for the privilege. We feast on the grotesquely fattened livers of force-fed geese, end quote. And they've got a point. <laughs> when, you, when you think about the act of consumption, the act of eating, the act of taking something in for the purposes of nourishment, it is a pretty terrifying process of how we do it. And if you've ever eaten with a messy eater, you know in real time how, how horrific that can, can look, especially. When it comes to horror movies, I think there are different ways that food is used. Obviously, there are ways that are completely out of the realm of how we would naturally eat food. So that's consuming actual like human flesh or, you know, human bodily fluids or hair when we don't intend to. So the tampering of your food, uh, that's horrifying. But I'm more so for this episode talking about how we traditionally think of food and how that is used within horror films. So within this episode, we're going to kind of break it up between item-specific instances of horrific food use, uh, food as a weapon, which is, we're going to talk about one film that I think does that beautifully. And then to wrap things up, we're going to talk about how characters consume food and how food can be used as a kind of horrific manipulation tactic in a weird way. So we're going to get there, but first off, let's start with item specific instances of, you know, horrific food use. And one thing without a shadow of a doubt, when I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking about what is the scariest food in, in horror films, you know, like what is that one food item that if I saw it in a horror film, I would immediately be like, oh shit, something's terrifying is about to happen. And I did a video on this last year, and the answer is pretty clear. It's a glass of milk. 
Now, you know, food is oftentimes a very easy and very subtle indicator of who a character is. And a lot of that can be communicated through how a character chooses to eat or drink and how they consume it. And in pop culture, milk is often associated with purity, innocence, and it's mainly consumed by children. They need it to, you know, have their bones be big and strong as they're growing. However, when an adult consumes milk, it can be a little bit unsettling. And I will say this, I think the idea of milk as a kind of unsettling or even horrific food is relatively recent. If you go back and look at a lot of like food advertisements for around like the 40s and 50s, consuming like a steak with a glass of milk was not like... (laughs) was not a food faux pas by any means like it was something that was regularly being done um as terrifying as that is um but yeah so I think that this is this idea of milk kind of being a little bit unsettling and and weird to think about um and scary in some instances is still relatively new so I want to put that that caveat but this isn't to say that you know every adult who consumes milk in films are you know, scary figures because one of film's greatest protagonists, Luke Skywalker, literally drinks milk in the first Star Wars movie. But the unsettling factor with milk is that when it's consumed after a dangerous act is done, the reason for milk's sinister reputation is the act of subversion. So let's consider a film like Jordan Peele's Get Out. The scene where Allison Williams' character, Rose, is sitting, drinking milk, and eating cereal, and she's doing it separately. I remember when I saw this film for the first time, and that was the one thing. More than her, you know, browsing on the internet looking at, I think she's like looking at athletes, like she's forking through like a catalog or something. And this comes after the big reveal of who her family is and the intentions that they have for Daniel Kaluuya's character. Um, It was less what she was consuming but how she was consuming it. The idea of having the milk in one glass, like it with a straw and the cereal in a bowl and she's eating them separately. I remember when I watched the film that that always stuck with me because I was like, that is scary. (laughs) There's something about her. We already know she's not right in the head, uh, but that only makes it scarier. We don't really get much of Rose after that reveal and this is coupled with the fact that there is like kind of a link between milk and white supremacy. So milk is used as a pretty quick indicator that she might have a screw or seven uh, pretty loose. It's very subtle, like I said, it's a very subtle indicator of her character. It's a very subtle thing to use and to communicate that like, hey, we are not okay. We are not in a good way with this (laughs) right now um there are many other films who have villains consuming milk again it's that subversion aspect of it uh where you have a, a villain you know like explaining all the horrific things that they've done and then enjoying a glass of milk while they do it again it goes back to the idea of milk being this kind of signal of purity and its connections with you know development and growth and you know, building and everything like that. And when you have a character who is the antithesis of that consuming it, it becomes immediately a figure of, or uh, an item 
of horrific value. Its horrific value goes up quite a bit. So milk is one of the first things that we literally consume as humans when we're born. So it can feel like a pretty unhinged subversion as well when we see adults drink it, especially after committing a pretty heinous act. It's like a battle between innocence and evil. I think another food item that has a similar reputation is candy. And oftentimes we see candy kind of being used in instances like more so like fairy tale instances. So you think of like Hansel and Gretel, um, where candy was used as a a weapon in a sense. It was used as a way to lure the children in to trap them in a horrific setting. Um, and that brings us to our, our next bit, which is food as a weapon. And I think the film that perfectly encapsulates all of that is uh, the menu from last year, which was one of my favorite films from last year. Um, but it was such a great food film, but a great food horror film as well. It's nothing that's being done to the food that makes it horrific. It's how it's being consumed and the intention behind how it's being consumed. So there are, if you have seen the movie, you'll know that they are inviting all these super uber rich people to this island to experience this once in a lifetime dining opportunity. I think it costs like $10,000 to $15,000, some crazy number for dinner. Um, and the intention is that, you know, things are not what they seem, um, by the end of, of the meal. And so during the meal, you have all these very rich people who I think what the film touches on brilliantly is this idea of food which is something that we need to survive we need it to to live to continue living um but there's this idea that people who are super just disgustingly rich kind of views food and see food as like theater or entertainment or fodder um and there's no awareness uh that food could potentially not be a resource for them um, so I think it's the idea of like, it's not enough to just have a sandwich. It has to be this heightened experience because like, that's boring. If it's just a sandwich, like there's nothing exciting about that. And when you've never had any type of like food insecurity, that can be a pretty prevailing thought. So I think that's something that the film touches on quite a bit. Um, but food is used as a weapon in this regard, um, both in like a metaphorical sense, but also in a pretty, <laughs> towards the end, in a very pretty literal sense um i will say spoilers for the menu but also you, you should see it um but the metaphorical sense of how food is used as a weapon is that the first couple courses of the film are kind of meant to torture these people who again have never experienced any type of food insecurity or never have had to really think about the act of eating. They more see it as, as theater, as like a show, a game. Um, so one of the first courses is like a breadless um, bread plate or something. And it's meant for them to, they they all kind of feel the sense of entitlement to bread. And the idea is that the chef, who's played by Ralph Fiennes, takes that away from them. And so they all start freaking out, not in like a scary, like horror movie way, but in a like, how dare you not give us bread? We are entitled to this bread. And it sends them into a bit of a downward spiral. And you can start to see that like this movie starts to really pick up because they're starting to freak out over not having bread. And that's the first kind of uh, 
way that food has been weaponized within this context. And then it begins to build when you get to a scene uh, where they have tortillas and <laughs> Hong Chao, who is in it, she plays this like, uh, I think her name is like Elsa. I think her name might be Elsa. And she's kind of the, um, like the hostess type. Um, and she's there to, to facilitate questions from the patrons to the chef. And they bring out these tortillas that have the worst moments of each patron's, you know, life or their secrets, um, printed on them. So it's like a couple of like angel investor tech bro financier guys have their like companies um misuse of funds or something like printed on these tortillas and they're like what are these and they, she's like they're tortillas tortillas deliciosas like so again it's more metaphorical psychological warfare again it's the idea that something that is supposed to be serving as nourishment you know tortillas or what have you um are now being used as a direct weapon against you literally via having you know documents printed on these tortillas or having like you know scandalous photos which some of the other patrons have printed on their tortillas so they're not even able to really consume it in good faith or in goodwill because their food has been tampered with kind of in a completely cerebral way and then the food, the food, and then the film <laughs> continues on with then having, you know, the Nicholas Holt character who kind of knows the crux of the game and knows what's going on and knows that the end goal of this dinner, which spoiler alert, they all uh, become s'mores. The, he literally sets the building that they are all in on fire. It's like a group sewer slide um, slash murder. Um so that's what happens. But he knows that that's the experience that he's getting. And he's this like foodie. He loves food. Like he, you know, kind of badgers his date who's uh, played by um, Anya Taylor-Joy Margot. He's like, you know, you don't just, you're not eating it. You need to savor it. You need to like, you're not eating it properly. You're not doing this right. He's such, he's a kiss ass to the chef in the movie and the chef hates it. And so there's a point where, you know, in Nicholas Holt's character, knowing what happens, his one thing is that he wants to be a part of the menu, who he wants to be a part of this process. And how food is used against him is the chef instructs him then to like cook a meal and he's completely inept. He can't do it. He like says that he knows so much about food. He, he, he knows how to consume food better than anyone else. Um, and he knows more about food than anyone else. And then when given the task of cooking it, uh, he can't do it. And he literally, uh, then he kills himself after that. But the one thing in how food is weaponized against someone who is a foodie in this instance, uh, is not being part of the menu. He's not a part of the process of, of food or the part of the process of consumption. And so what I love about the menu in general, I think is just that it took and deconstructed the different ways that we think about food, um, both in a high level and a low level, and was able to weave horror elements into it um, in a way that you're kind of unsuspecting. And that's the brilliance of film uh, with food and using food as a storytelling device. I mean, all these, these meals that you see in the film tell a really, really interesting story. And the biggest 
storytelling element that we see in the film is at the very end where the chef uh, is instructed to prepare a simple cheeseburger by Margot. She realizes, and she's the only one who's not uh, essentially a member of the 1% who's like super duper wealthy. She's um, brought there by Nicholas Holt's character. Uh, She's an escort. And so she, like many average people, have a very different relationship when it comes to food and there's not this grand idea of food as as theater it's she has this keen awareness that at the end of the day a chef should be able to cook a meal that people enjoy that is the the task of a good chef and so she finds a way to you know not i wouldn't say she tricks slovic um who is the chef but she just says like I want a cheeseburger and so he you know lovingly crafts this this cheeseburger and she's like can I get it to go and then she is able to escape um the fate that everyone else in this uh in this restaurant are about to meet but there is a lot of ways that food you know this is phenomenal food like when you look at the food in the film some of it does look a bit uh out of touch and maybe that's just my super simple unrefined palate um but for the most part like most of this food you can tell looks really good and it's very well made and very well crafted it's luxury it's lush it's like it's opulent it's you know uh excessively rich looking food and so you can tell that it should be delicious but when you have all of these almost like psychological torture devices that have been put in front of it you can't even really consume and again that ladders back to what we were talking about initially which is the idea of like when you have your food tampered with or you or when you are withheld from being able to eat like that becomes a horror in and of itself so like i said the menu is is quite phenomenal and i think how it uses food is really really interesting um especially within the genre of of horror i think it's more of like a horror thriller more than it is like a straight traditional like horror movie but those horror elements are definitely there and food adds a really interesting kind of texture to it um if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it uh because i think it's it's pretty good and it definitely kind of encapsulates what we're talking about here and so finally we're gonna we're gonna get to like how food is consumed and prepared and, and you know served and how that can be an a uh, factor in horror and the film that i think really does a great job of this and shows it in a way that's a bit unconventional um because obviously the most the easiest way to show horrifying looking food uh is to serve it in a really disgusting way um i think one of the most horrific food showings that i can recall immediately um is not from any traditional horror film it is from an episode of spongebob where they show the like nasty patty that mr krabs and spongebob are going to serve to a health inspector um and it they do a close-up on it and it is it has boils and it's growing fungus and it's not the right color of a crabby patty it is horrific to look at so it is very easy (laughs) to to make food look disgusting and make it look you know unappetizing and that again in and of itself is scary because it is once again impeding you from eating it is stopping the bodily autonomy you have of wanting to consume and needing to consume in order to survive it's like a 
uh, what I would imagine a saw trap is. Like if that puppet on the tricycle, you know, gave you a pie, but the pie JK was like full of needles or something like that. Like you're not going to have an enjoyable experience eating that pie because it is a pie full of needles. Um, I've never seen the saw. I'm just assuming that that is Jigsaw's MO just based off of everything that I've seen. <laughs> but the film that I want to use as an example for this last part is uh, Coraline and how food is kind of used as a bit of a manipulation tactic in a weird way, which contributes to the horror of Coraline being this girl that's trapped between these two worlds and how she almost gets fully trapped in one world. Um, so how food is used as a manipulation tactic really starts outside of the the other world where everything seems to be so much better. The first time we see food prepared in the film, it is, it's kind of nasty. Um, it's one of the first meals that Coraline and her parents are sharing in their new house. Uh, feasibly speaking, they've just moved in. Um, and it's prepared by her dad and it's like pale and it's gelatinous and it's just overall not very appetizing. And Coraline even complains and she asks her mom, like, when, when are you going to cook or like, why can't you cook? It is, I wouldn't say it's as far as an act of horror that her dad is cooking, but when you see like him slurp it up, um, to plate it up and serve, I would say that that's horrific. Um, it, it just, it looked really nasty and preparing a meal outside of the context of horror. When you prepare a meal for someone, it is an act or can be seen as an act of, of goodwill. It can be seen as an act of love. And that's the intention there. But when you have a meal that is not really great being served, the intention can feel a bit different. It can feel not so much like love. It can feel like, you know, neglect it can feel it can just be connotated with a lot of bad feelings in a weird way but then the next time we see food being presented it's from the other mother and it is lavish and it's gorgeous and it's full of color and it looks good and you can see the lines of like steam radiating off of the off of the meal like it looks delicious it's very very appetizing and it's almost as if the other mother in a weird way kind of laces the food with love and intention which is something that Coraline hasn't gotten in the other world in her world um and so that is a way that this food is almost like tricking Coraline into staying and you know a, along with obviously other factors that are happening in the other world with the other mother and the other father but food is a really big way in which they kind of lure Coraline in and it's not that they're putting any poison or you know that we know of it's not that they're putting any poison or anything that is intentionally you know luring and um hypnotizing Coraline into staying it's literally that the food is the opposite of what she's getting in her reality and it is almost a way that it's kind of like I said it feels like it's being laced with love and intention and you know warmth and that is what almost serves as this kind of hypnotic um factor uh to to Coraline and ultimately what kind of convinces her in the early goings to stay in a weird way or to want to stay 
there's also the whole, you know, drama and conflama of the cake. And a lot of people have talked about that. Um, when the cake is like what, uh, the other mother and the other father serve to Coraline that says like, welcome home. And there's like a double looped O in the, um, you know, in the O of home. And per my research, I've heard that that double looped O signals, you know, deception, lying, um, but I've heard otherwise. But for the sake of this conversation, let's assume that the O in the home of the welcome home cake does mean deception. Again, it is food being used as a manipulation tactic and also like as a weapon. And it's something that Coraline is not necessarily like privy to. And once her world begins to crumble and fall down and the facade of the other mother is, you know, taken away, all of that delicious food goes away with the fantasy too. And we see the other mother consuming bugs and, you know, cause she's like a spider lady or whatever it is. She's consuming like bugs and, you know, just really nasty, gross, disgusting things. And then you're like, oh, you know, you start to get that feeling of uneasiness. You know, food was once this kind of comfort thing. And then when you see it depicted in another way, it's like, oh, okay. Ugh, like gross. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like that's, and again, also when it comes to how characters consume food, like I said at the top of the episode, like you can have characters, you know, ripping the flesh off of, off of, you know, bones like with chicken or with beef or something like that, or like how we consume seafood and everything like that. Like food and eating can be in and of themselves horrific acts. But then when you add the storytelling element that is so native to horror films, it adds a really interesting layer um, to the whole ordeal and it makes food and horror films really interesting. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Afternooners. If you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you made it to the end of this episode, congratulations, you're an Afternooner now. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you had a good time. It helps out the pod. You get to tell me how you're feeling about the pod. And I get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at The Afternoon Special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I have really got to do a bit of a deep dive on food and horror films and also uh, maybe skip lunch today. Uh, I get it. I totally get it. And I'm right there with you. And so I've left all of that information in the description down below just for you. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this week's spooky chat and that you'll join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're in a relationship, single, or recently heartbroken, you could be navigating some tough stuff. And it really can be challenging to do this on your own. We all need help when it comes to our relationships, very specifically our love lives. 
I'm Jillian, and each week on my podcast, Jillian on Love, I share skills on how to strengthen our relationships, how to build a stronger sense of self, and how to heal heartbreak and choose better partners. Learn how to start making change today and search for Jillian on Love wherever you're listening now.